I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome. My name is Justin and his name is Matthew. Yes, it is. And this is Out of the Woods, a Yellow Jackets podcast in which we, as the title might imply, talk about Showtime's Yellow Jackets. And uh, Matthew, how are you feeling this evening? Yeah, not too shabby. That's good. How That's good. <laughs> I'm pretty great. You generously gave me two of those weird little baggy KFC quasi-nutritious YP towely guys. So yeah, that was that was nice of you. And uh, yeah, almost as we were walking around outside, we were getting really irritated at all the people riding their bikes on the footpath. Yeah, yeah. What's with that? It's so like, annoying to be on the road. This it's is the, king- the walkie bit. Yes, this is the kingdom of pedestrians. Don't you come in here with your wheeled feet monstrosities? Bastards. Yes. Anyway, well, we've just lost the cycling demographic as well. <laughs> we're just we're dropping them like flies. Look, I don't have anything against cyclists, just not when they almost run me over. Okay. Anyway, we are not here to discuss our grievances with living in the location we live in. Well, I live in. We're here to discuss episode four of Yellow Jackets, Bear Down, an episode that was directed by Deepa Mehta, written by Ashley Lyle, Bart Nickerson, and Liz Fang, which is a cool name. Uh, Matthew, what did you think of this episode? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, I, I didn't like this episode as much as the previous three. I'm kind of more sort of have mixed feelings on it. I think this is maybe my least favorite of the season. It's not bad. It has some good moments. But I think that there are a couple of things that they just fumble the ball on and the subplots are really uninteresting for the most part. But there's some good stuff too, you know. I'm sure about cannibalism when the highlight is a game of mini golf, you know. (laughs) I wouldn't describe... Yeah, yeah, well, no, of that storyline, yes. That is... You actually hit upon a very important point there that we will get into more as we get going. But yeah, still some good stuff in this episode, so let's not be too harsh on it. Just had a couple of uh, follow-up things from last time. I should have drawn more attention to in episode three is the first time when Shauna sides with Ty when they're talking about going to the lake. That is a really important moment in the season and is the first rock falling off a mountain that will start an avalanche, shall we say. And, you know, that's one of my favorite storylines this season, so keep an eye out for that. And second point, lake sharks do exist. (laughs) So that was a ridiculous concept, but no, the Speartooth, Ganges, and Ball sharks have also been found in lakes. Excellent. And, yeah, none of those, I believe, are found in rural Ontario, but still. Well, it's, you know, it's semi-feasible. Yeah, yeah, it's, let's not, you know, worry too much about that. Anyway, let us get into episode four. And, uh, by the way, as I constantly remind you, this is not, repeat not, a spoiler-free podcast, although we will be discussing episode four in the main on this episode. This will contain spoilers for the entire show. Everything is fair game. You have been warned. You shall not be warned again. So yeah, we open... I'd like that in writing. (laughs) Quiet. We open to the song Mountain Song by Jane's Addiction. Matthew, thoughts on Jane's Addiction? Uh, I'm not addicted. 
<laughs> quite. I'm, I can take or leave them, they're fine. I like the bit in the song where it goes, Everybody has their own opinion! I like that bit. And we flash back. Our first scene is yet another flashback to the plane crash. Getting quite a lot of these, in which we see everybody freaking out as they want to do. And we see a shot of poor Van yet again punching the top of the plane to make her oxygen mask come down. Just really emphasizing life is not going her way. And uh, Nat, uh, the focus of this episode and the scene, is freaking out. Amazing acting from Sophie Thatcher. And she reaches out to grab the arm of her creepy alky dad who is half his face blown off who she is hallucinating sitting next to her and he says i don't know what you're so scared of natty you've already got blood on your hands and she uh reaches out to grab something and finds her fingers lighting upon a gun oh how absurd i wonder how the fact that he has half his face missing and her having a gun could be related yeah, how'd she get that on the plane? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Misty got an axe on the plane, so... Yeah? Apparently that. all bets are off. And he really does have quite a hole in his head. Yeah, well, I guess he's a fan of Nine Inch Nails? Maybe. Human head has five holes and all of them are needed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quote. So yes, uh, he creepily says to Nat, We're almost there. It's been waiting for us. And this is... A pretty much perfect scene, except for the dude's acting, who plays her father. I've just, I'm not gonna say he's a bad actor, I don't know him, he's just doing a very particular thing of, like, an understated register. Yeah, it's very sort of wooden-ish. Yeah, wooden, it's like, I, I don't even necessarily think it's a bad choice for her to go with that character, I just think that it's, it's not what that scene required. But hey, just, just my opinion. Nat then wakes up in the cabin, but they are all sleeping in. And Lottie is also awake. She is sitting up creepily, sitting up disturbingly straight, while wearing her herringbone pyjamas. And I have to say, they look very nice. I would like to wear those. Yeah, I wonder where she got them. Yeah, well, at TJ Maxx, probably. Mm. And then uh, Nat comforts her, uh, reminding her that they buried the cabin guy. And then Lottie says, I think bad things happened here. Which is a pretty safe assumption, I have to say. And we get even more Jane's Addiction. In fact, we just get the same song played again as we cut to 2021, where adult Nat is driving creepily. I can de describe it no better. Misty is ringing her, and she is... Oh, I love this. Misty is reading out a web page of what to say to a person grieving a suicide. <laughs> it's like, maybe these internet articles will teach me how to be a person. Yeah, I feel like, you know... Everybody does that, but the advice you generally get is not very good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's generalized, so it can only be so good. Misty is wearing a shirt with some cool owls on it, I have to say. As a fan of grotesquely loud shirts, I would definitely rock that bad boy. And she says, I would never presume to say that I know what you're going through, but I want you to know that this isn't your fault. And that is just quite understandably, I have to say, not having any of this. She's like, why the fuck would Travis's murder be my fault? And... In evidence of this point, she says, we both get the same creepy postcard in the mail and then Travis turns up dead. Travis didn't kill himself. and I'm going to find out who did. Which is a badass line, but a grammatically sort of false sentence because Travis didn't kill himself and I'm going to find out who did. That implies that you're going to find out the person who did kill themselves, not the person who killed Travis. Yeah, that's a bit murky. Yeah, I, I don't know. Hey, uh, grammar experts, chime in. Maybe that's all good. Maybe I'm the twat here. <laughs> and Misty, uh, leaping as she always does at the opportunity to insert herself into another's life, says, you're going to need some help. And she says that she knows a dude who can hack into the police email account. Yeah, Misty says that before we fire that missile... 
which is adorable. I'm going to start using that one. They want to get together and strategize over the corkboard. And then uh, <laughs> Nat is not into this idea and just hangs up on her. And Misty's reverie is interrupted by a yell from an elderly lady by the name of Mrs. Singh demanding some jello. And I love the way in which she says that implies that that is like the title of Misty. I thought she was just saying hello to someone like yellow. <laughs> in a Borax sort of way. Uh, you know, she's old. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. I can quote vaguely racist Sasha Baron Cohen movies and nobody complains anymore. Just one of the perks of being old. Yep, that's how you know you've really made it. And then we hit the title credits. And cut back to 96 timeline. Misty is, there is no more delicate way to say this, helping Coach take a shit. <laughs> Which he cannot do by himself due to his missing leg. I'm like, I feel like this is a thing that guys should help each other out with. You know, like, Travis, you got to be helping your boy out there. It's a fairly uncomfortable pooing scene, it must be said. I think he would rather be doing that with any other person on Earth, including, like, the Pope, than Misty. Yeah. Yeah. And then... He's just like, please, just stop talking, just stop talking. It's like, okay, I get it, but like, she's trying, man, meet her halfway. And I don't know how she interpreted that as, okay, I'll start singing. Yes. Well, <laughs> she tells him to bear down, which is where the title of this episode comes from. and does not come from, like, a bear who got shot yelling, Bark! Medic! Cool, back. Yes, man, the moon bear. How did I get here? <laughs> Many bears will be asking themselves that question by the end of this season. And she begins singing the song Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something. Which goes, dearest listener, if you're uninitiated. Here we go. <clears throat> you say that we've got nothing in common. And yeah. So, thoughts on that song? In its usual form, not in its being sung by a psychotic 17-year-old as she helps a dude shit form? No. <laughs> That's fair. You know, it's just, Deep Blue Something is sort of the archetypal example of the one-hit wonder. Mm. And it just pisses me off when people make fun of one-hit wonders. It's like, you know, most people don't even have a hit. That's good. Yeah, I mean, something's better than nothing. Exactly. It's the, definitely not like a lyrical opus or anything. I wouldn't say so. The glare of the spotlight can burn if you spend too much time in it. So maybe it's good that uh, DBS got out when they did. <laughs> also, also, I feel like this is definitely me putting on my overanalysis hat, but I feel like the lyrics of that song actually kind of pertain a lot to Coach Ben and Misty's relationship. It's like, hey, we have nothing in common and you don't actually like being around me, but we have this experience that bonds us together. Yeah. Namely, the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's and uh, Horrific Amputation, respectively. So yeah, back at the cabin, uh, everybody's sort of sitting around surlily. And Travis grabs the hunter guy's gun and attempts to shoot a squirrel, or a squirrel, as Americans would say. A van tries to stop him. He's like, dude, what the fuck? And then he misses the squirrel, completely whips it. Which, uh, given his later apparent prowess at shooting things, is a bit odd, but I guess he was being distracted, which is another big theme of this episode. Uh, Coach appears post-shit and has managed to sort of regain some wherewithal and authority back. He's like, Travis, give me the gun! And he, you know is mutinously expressionative about it, but he eventually does give it back to him. And then Coach sort of lays down the law and is like, this is a dangerous weapon and we will handle it as such. And I just find it really interesting following the meta story of him gradually losing all control in the group over the season. But at this point, he's still the adult in the room, as the EU would say. But he then points out that despite Travis's rash action and foolishness in that specific way, 
he doesn't have a point because they are out of food and that they are all feeling it. They have run out of their disgusting plain snacks. Mm. And Coach says, the good news is that his father used to take him deer hunting. The bad news is I am down to one fucking leg. So one of them is going to have to learn how to use this thing. And this prospect does not appear very positive to young Nat. The camera zooms in on her ominously. And we cut to the present, where an adult Nat is catching up with her mom in her gross trailer and is trying to make pleasant small talk that her mom, who is a lady of advancing years who has an oxygen like respirator bar thing that she uses, doesn't really reciprocate this. And Nat finds a picture. Did I just imagine her being an alcoholic, or is that uh, in the story? I think that's sort of in... Wait, uh, Nat or her mom? Her mom. Oh, well, again, it wouldn't shock me if she was, but I don't believe she was actually shown chugging anything. Maybe, maybe this is this is like the Nelson Mandela effect or the movie Kazam or whatever. Perhaps. Perhaps. Anyway, Nat finds a photograph of her family, of herself and her mom and her dad, and her mother opines that those were happier days. And Nat responds, whatever you say, Ma, presumably to avoid responding with what she actually believes, which is, no, they fucking won't. And then uh, Nat's mother says, rather pointedly, you never appreciated it at the time, not till it gets ripped out from under you. And, hmm, I wonder what she could be referring to. And this is interesting. This was a, a cool little thing. Nat sees her younger, raven-haired self enter with a young Kevin. They sort of do a cool, quick cut between them as she's reliving the memories. It was actually very cool. And they go into Nat's room and they start playing the song Feel the Pain by Dinosaur Jr. Which I was cool with. I can get, definitely get down with a bit of DJ. That's cool. <laughs> And uh, Kevin informs Nat that Kurt wanted Jay Mascus to be in Nirvana, who I think is the guy from Dinosaur Jr., but I'm not an expert. And uh, he says that he hasn't been as into them since they left Sub Pop, which, you know, what a hipster. Yeah, that doesn't even sound like that good a genre. I think that's the name of a label. Oh, right. Yeah, Sub Pop sounds like a really bad name for a genre. I wouldn't want to listen to that. Is that... Pop music exclusively for people who are sexually submissive. Oh, that. Nah. So basically, Charlie XCX then. Ah. <laughs> okay, moving on from that. Yeah, the painting the nails is cute. And then Kevin said, I guess I liked them better when they were just ours. Stop being a gatekeeper, Kevin. I I've never gotten that. You know, and like, it's like that exchange on 4chan where it's some guy being like, Isn't it good that more people enjoy the thing you enjoy? And then the guy responds, No, because they will like it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And then it'll be popular, so, yeah. Don't be a... Hey, PSA to listeners, hating something because it's popular is just as stupid as liking something because it's popular. Like things without a relationship to what others think about them, because that's stupid. Anyway, it's this scene of alt-teen revelries interrupted when Nat's dad runs in and yells at them and yells, Are you a little slut? <laughs> at her. And is just being extremely over the top and horrible towards them and sort of Kevin runs out in fear. I don't really like the portrayal of her dad because to me, if the episode is about the relationship with Nat and her father, it should be would be more interesting if there was some kind of progression. If like he wasn't always such a twat and it showed how they got to that point, the implied yeah. arc of their relationship. In the actual episode, it's more like he's just 100% a shithead and there's absolutely no nuance to it whatsoever, which is is fine, to be clear. That's not like a bad story necessarily. It's just yeah, not... We're, we're just glossing over the rest of his character. Oops, he's dead. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Oops, they're dead! As Nicholas Cage would say. As he would. But yeah, I just think that 
the way in which he's done as a character in the episode isn't bad. I just think there are ways it could have been done more interestingly. So yeah, cut back to the present, and Nat is rooting around in her old bedroom, which her mother advises her, If you're gonna take shit, take it all. I'm not your goddamn storage unit. <laughs> we know that Nat has a storage unit presided over by the fantastically creepy Dave, so maybe she will just put that there. And Nat retrieves what she came home for in the first place, which is a mixtape for good old Kevin. And we cut to modern-day Tysa in a rather beautiful blue dress. And they're getting ready, and Simone is helping her legs zip her stuff up, and she is quizzing her on the information about the gathering they're about to go to of the hobnobbing of rich folk. Like, who has a property where, and who has children where, blah, 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 blah. Did you say hobnobbing or hobdobbing? What is hobdobbing? I don't think it is a thing. Well, then I probably didn't say that. Good. <laughs> quite yeah i love uh simone and ty as a power couple and i love that sammy is just in the closet yeah. looking at them creepily <laughs> it's like that bit in south park where uh p diddy gets trapped in the closet with tom cruise and he's like now nah, i'm trapped in the closet pull out my gun <laughs> you see the one where it's like oh, the man is a midget 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 yes i think i did <laughs> <laughs> and the one where Kanye West is a gay fish. Oh man, that was, that was awesome. We should do a South Park podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would require us talking about the later seasons of South Park, so. It's not all bad. I guess not. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, Sammy is terrifying. I love this little this little scene because it's just a snapshot of Ty, Simone, and Sammy's life. It's like, ah, everything's normal at the Abra Turner household. They're being codependent power couple trying to gain power uh <laughs> sammy is just being terrifying everything's normal yeah just another normal day and uh simone points out that there's no way that diane raffleson is going to expect her to know all this stuff because ty needs this rich lady's money slash influence and then simone offers the advice to ty let her know what you really care about which is interesting because she means you know, your passion for education and zoning room or whatever, but I think I don't think Ty doesn't care about those things, but I think what she cares about more than that is power. And perhaps she will let her know what she really cares about. And Simone says, if all else fails, pull out your Tina Turner and Hooch bit. Does that sound like it could be even remotely amusing? Ah, oh, depends what universe you're living in, I guess. <laughs> Quite. Yeah, Simone is amazing. I love her. Rukia Bernard is her. And those actresses have really great chemistry, even if their relationship is sort of... Well, we'll get to that later in the episode. In the past, we cut from current tie to past tie, shooting a gun. And the teens are being tested on their ability to shoot a gun with a penny on the barrel, without any bullets in it, obviously. And if they're able to click the clicky trigger, and the penny doesn't fall off, then they advance to the next round. And tie fails at this and jackie takes this opportunity to gloat the rare occasion where ty is bad at something she's like and then they get sort of competitive and the coach is like it's not a contest but like it is a contest and jackie i guess he reasonably points out there is going to be a winner right and then it is jackie's turn and then mari like cheers for her like oh go jackie uh mari watch she is still trying to get in jackie's good books you know still wants to chill with her no one else cheers for jackie what an interesting development. And she fucks up. Uh, the penny, I believe, falls off even before she pulls the trigger. 
And then it is Travis's turn. He offers the gun to Harvey, but Harvey says, fuck you, and walks away. <laughs> which is understandable, particularly in the context of this episode. The Travis is, if you don't like Travis, this is the episode in which you will the most not like Travis, probably. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, he manages to do the thing with the penny. And a couple of people like, this is funny. He does it, and because he's the only one in shot, we can't see who it is. But a couple of people in the crowd briefly applaud him. <laughs> on who? My theory is that it was also Mari, because like she in the previous episode wanted to sort of schlop him, so maybe she's trying to hedge her bets. Like, yeah, he's kind of a dick, but maybe we could fuck later. Schlop? Yeah, you know, schlop. Have sex. That's I, a word. I've not heard that phrase. I'm sure that's the thing people say. But anyway, not the main thing. Uh, it's Nat's turn. And she's about to do it, and when she flashes back to a situation of her pointing a gun at someone else, I wonder who, and this terrifying visual causes her to oh, start and drop the penny. And then Travis says, oh, next time we can stick to something you're good at, like folding laundry or sucking cock. He's <laughs> being a massive twat, but it is also kind of funny, just the sheer absurdity and grotesquery of it. Not yeah, out of character for him. No. So then, sadly, he he really like hides up all of his inner vulnerability on an outer level of hedgehog spikiness, dickheadishness. Yeah. Which is an interesting parallel between him and several other characters that do that. So yeah, it's Van's turn, but before she can have a go, Nat steals her gun. <laughs> it's like I want to go again, which I hate to side with Travis, but that is slightly unfair. And I'd be pretty feeling pretty pissed off if I was Van. I'd be like, I. I was about to, okay. But then Travis is such a dick about it that, that Van, oh, Van also told Travis to shut the fuck up when he was saying that main thing before. So yeah, Van continues to be awesome. And so Travis is being such a dick that Van doesn't even mind that Nat is taking her turn. She's like, sure, do whatever. And then Nat is able to also do the thing where the penny stays on the gun and everybody whoops and cheers her a half just because they're happy she succeeded another half because Travis is being such a twat and Van compliments her but in a slightly... In a slightly measured way, she's like, yeah, good job, Nat, as if to say, it's still a little rude that you took my turn, but yeah. I'm happy that you succeed. <laughs> Which is fair. So then, cut to Shauna, also in the past, hanging out on a log across a river. She's writing in her journal that will go on to contain so much interesting information, and her foot is dangling in the creek, or the crick, as people from rural areas of the US would say. God will, and in the crick don't rise, they might say. Yeah. And the, the fact that her leg was dangling in the water gave me anxiety because it's like, Shauna, Shauna, you might, you'll fall prey to one of those lake sharks that we just established definitively do in fact exist. Yeah, or get like a creek transmitted disease. <laughs> I mean, more on that point later. Harvey walks up to her, and this is a cute little scene, even if it's fairly inconsequential. And then he's like, you're not doing the gun thing? And Shauna says, I don't really think I meant to handle firearms, which would be me. In the woods, I'd be like, yep, I'm going to bow out of this immediately. I'll, does somebody have some laundry I can fold? I will do that. <laughs> not a lot of laundry going on in the middle of the jungle. No, no, not as yet. And she says that it's her journal, it's her way of trying to make sense of what's going on and how I'm feeling about it. But, you know, it's a useful thing to have. I mean, definitely for people in stressful situations, journals can be helpful. And she says, <laughs> I love the, <laughs> the fact that all, I think all four of, the main characters of Yellow Jackets are kind of egotistical in their own ways, and Sean is sort of like, oh, when I'm famous, it can go into the archives. <laughs> yeah. She hands Harvey a page and tells him to write something down and says that there's no wrong way to do it. And Christopher, because I don't think this comes back, but I wonder what he wrote there. So yeah, cut to the present, and Sean is make-upping herself with one of those poofy, brushy guys. 
and is flashing back to having sex with Adam in the hotel. And she's preparing to go out and have sex with him some more. I'm already going to, at this early point, let you know that I don't give a flaming fuck about the storyline. <laughs> I mean, okay, I, I kind of do in as much as the sense that it feeds into her character arc, but Adam himself as a character, just, I don't fucking care about him. <laughs> yeah, well, he is a bit of a chart. They do have these, they have some nice chemistry with each other, though, I will say that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on to round two of the gun shooting thing, and Mari advanced to the next round with them. So the three contestants are Travis, Nat, and Mari. And Laura Lee, to say, Laura Lee is not necessarily always the person with the most amount of common sense, but here she points out something very valid, where she's saying, shouldn't we try to conserve ammo? And then Coach says, I'm just going to paper over that plot point, and says the nut job we lived here before was apparently hoarding for the apocalypse. Yeah, no, we've got a never-ending box of rifles. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's like the tutorial mission in a video game. You have infinite ammo. Yeah. One of the things that interests me almost more than any other mystery in the show that I hope really gets solved is, what is the deal with Cabin Guy? Why was he there? Why did he presumably shoot himself? Why were his fingers missing? Which we'll get into more in the next episode. He fascinates me. I cannot wait to see him. You reckon he might have been done in by someone and been professionally processed, so to speak? Oh, like in Fallout. Did he still have teeth? He, had st he still had teeth, but like maybe it was like the Fallout thing where you get the fingers and you hand them into the, you know, <laughs> the regulators. Oh, no, I meant so that they can't, like, find him through his finger. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't... That would imply the person who did it thought that other people would be there, which is interesting. Which turned out they were. Anyway, uh, Mari fails at it. Uh, she gets one, though, which is not bad. Uh, anyway, Travis is being a twat. Nat is like, do you like being this way? Uh, uh, I don't think he does. And Travis is doing it. He hits almost all of the cans in the set-up-y, foresty area, but he misses one. And then Nat says, ah, oh, so close, Flex. And then he wheels around and points the gun at her. And says, don't fucking call me that. It's like, yeah, you know, that's a it's a great foundation to a relationship is having one of the parties point a loaded gun at the other. Yeah, he doesn't really seem to like being associated with that nickname he got from supposedly being able to suck his own head. Chris, and we'll get to that when it comes up, but that would be amazing. Yeah. I'll make fun of something. Oh, we'll get to it. Uh, Coach yells at him to put it the fuck down, and he does. Uh, I actually, really, later in the season, I actually go on to like the Travis and Natalie relationship quite a bit, and it was difficult to remind myself of that fact watching this episode, because I'm like, wow, he just sucks. But no, he, he goes on to suck less. And Nat is able to shoot all of the cans, and everybody applauds her, which is great. It just reminded me of that bit in Mass Effect where you and Garrus are up on the Citadel and shooting those cans is like oh when the invasion of the giant can monsters appears we'll know who to call yeah yeah that's sort of funny thing on the internet just like imagine if there was some later mass effect game where shepherd and garris were having a massive argument and just really getting pissed off and shepherd was like you know what that time we were shooting those cans i missed on purpose <laughs> everybody was just like <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is. Rematch. Oh, man. Oh, I, oh man. It'd be a good fan fiction, actually. Like an angsty... Anyway, this is not a Mass Effect podcast, so we probably should have one at some point. Cut forward to the present, and Nat and Kevin are on a date, and I actually really like their chemistry together as well. Nat apologizes for the misunderstanding of Misty texting him, impersonating Nat, and he's like, It's been a while, but I'll admit it didn't really sound like you. And there's a comment about the shapeliness of his legs. And as we know from episode two, Misty loves shapely legs. And then Nat says, do you remember Travis? 
And then Kevin goes, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, kind of. Which is basically how you respond whenever I ask you if you remember anybody from high school. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird that they didn't all just kind of disappear. Indeed. Well, God, I say more on that later so much. I, I cash so many checks with my mouth. In that. Oh, man. And there's it again. Uh, Nat tells Kevin about Travis killing himself. They're both doing really great acting here. He seems genuinely empathetic. And then she says, um, uh, changes the subject sort of slightly jarringly by talking about how he became a cop. And like, yeah, that is so weird to think that the biggest, the biggest drugo, like alternate drug using punky kid became a cop. It'd be like if the person you're thinking of, I'm not going to say, but the person you're thinking of, beep from our high school became a cop i was actually thinking about that dude in twin peaks that becomes a policeman yeah. in the return oh man they couldn't get that one active back to oh man well stay tuned for that on our twin peaks podcast yeah. it'll be happening at some point i'm sure we're gonna run out of podcast time hey we'll be in a nuclear bunker at some point <laughs> anyway in order to explain this bizarre circumstance nat says give me the haiku which was really cute and kevin is like the band was a bust Murder girl and fucked it up. That's a job, I guess. I want there to be a prequel series about Kevin Tan's tumultuous life. And uh, yeah, I just was thinking, imagine, imagine if Kevin's past self could see into the future and be like, "You fucking dark man, <laughs> you sold out. I'm gonna die of an overdose out of spite, so you never get to exist." <laughs> Dark. A bit of a plot twist there. <laughs> Let's hope this show doesn't introduce time travel. Yeah. That's not so much jumping the shark as fillating it. It's a pretty dicey, uh, dicey area to get into. Very much so. And Misty is also at this same restaurant that is called Bricks and Mortar, spelled with an X, like that one really rough area of London. I don't know what the thinking is there. Mm. And she's date-stalking them because she is taking out her aforementioned Aldo, Mrs. Singh. And she orders... This is something you are a, more of an expert in the world of alcohol than me, so I wanted to get your opinion on this. Uh, a chocolate martini. Yes, yeah, is... I'm still kind of on the fence about that. Right. Some of me thinks that could be good, but you know, the the more immediate side of my body's like, yeah, that something seems wrong there. <laughs> is it like, is that a thing? Like, have you heard of that before, or uh, not pre the show? No, no. So, to me, it really screams like. And I don't want to sound judgmental when I say this. It really screams like Misty is a person who doesn't get out much. So she's like, oh, I'll have the thing with chocolate in it because I know I like chocolate. Yeah, well, probably just not like a very big drinker. So she's got to drink something that almost seems like it's not even alcohol. Yeah, yeah. It is funny to imagine her extremely drunk. Mm. who just go on weird rants about like serial killers. Yeah, and how she is one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, maybe that's why she doesn't drink. Because yeah. it would spill all of her that secrets, as they say in uh, Pretty Little Lies. Anyway, I shouldn't judge her too harshly, because I am the inventor of the delicious product known as milk wine. Yes. Which, if you ever want to try, is quite something. Yeah, bit of sherry, bit of milk. Yeah, yeah, it has to be one of the sweeter, more sort of spirity wines. Yeah. It, it, it can't be a fruity wine, and it just curdles. Yeah, it seems like it's already been drunk. Yeah, precisely. Ugh. A repulsively evocative description there, my friend. So, yeah. It cuts forward to, uh, cuts backward rather, to the past, where Kevin Alves, who plays Travis, is doing some great dickhead expression. Like, the amount he makes me hate this character and then sympathize with this character in this episode. That dude's a phenomenal actor. Shout out, Kevin. And then Coach is talking to Nat and Trav and says, the rest of us are relying on you two to get our food, so you need to rely on each other. 
and he says we might be out here a lot longer so they've kind of acclimatized the idea that this is the foreseeable future and Travis immediately disobeys this and strides ahead. And that's like, shouldn't we be looking for scratches or antler marks on the trees? And he says, you can follow me or not. Just don't slow me down. Classic dickish thing to say. And yep. oh, I actually do quite like this scene, even as this isn't my favorite subplot. Ty is in the future at her party. And her dress is a rather wonderful shade of like teal or sea green that sticks out in the otherwise boring and bland dark attire of the party goers, which I think is a fairly unsubtle visual metaphor for how she doesn't feel at home. And this bloke named Robert Garrity? The hell kind of name is that? It's, 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 it's like in, in The Witcher 3 when the Baron's horse goes crazy. like, she's gone Garrity! The horse is gone Garrity, Geralt! <laughs> I love that yeah, character. I don't know what that means. Fucking hero's death. Fuck death. How does one do that? Metaphorically. Anyway. Oh, important information. He refers to Simone as the rising star of the complete department. So her job before she met Ty was academic. No wonder she liked marrying into money, eh? Yeah. Because <laughs> they don't make much money. Oh, this is interesting. This is a very interesting scene. The dude says of them, this is what a power couple should look like. Which is fair, because they're both very beautiful, accomplished, successful women. Mm. And Simone says, as a joke, oh, that's why we're together. You know, the joke being like, oh, we're just together because we look so great on paper, subject of which there's no real... Someone to pay my rent. But this, and No, but that's not true for her because she genuinely loves Ty. But it is, I'm afraid, kind of true the other way around. Like, Ty likes her, but as we explicitly confirm later in the season, she doesn't make her feel that intense passion. Basically, you know, Ty has dated many beautiful women and cared about... I presume most of them, but the one person who is only ever truly in her heart and who will always be there is Van. Hmm. It's it's a lot similar to, um, I don't know if you've ever read the short story The Dead by James Joyce. Nah. It's great, but basically, I'm about to spoil it, so plug your ears for the next 30 seconds if you want to read that story, listeners. It's basically like, this dude discovers that his wife, when she was a teenager, was in love with this guy who died when he was 17, and she's been mourning him for the rest of her life and always comparing him to him to him. So it's the thing where Simone is like, wow, I've been being compared to this funky little X-Files loving redheaded teen lesbian my whole life and I can't do anything to possibly exceed her because your first is your first, you know? Yeah. Nothing ever takes that away. Anyway. <laughs> a guy has a bizarre description of the roast pig they're about to be eating. It's nose to tail. Yeah. Just like, we didn't remove any of this pig. <laughs> Eat the bone too, man. You'll probably be used to that. Ha ha ha. And he, a great quote from this guy, he talks about the state's building code. It's nearly as draconian as it is antiquated. Which is extremely some stupid bullshit, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> it's anyway. It's old and outdated. <laughs> you could have just said that, you prat. I say with the biggest grain of salt ever because I absolutely redundant. I absolutely use excessively big words in this podcast and off this podcast. Why do in one word what you can do in ten? <laughs> I've not ever been able to answer that question. So yeah, Shauna and Adam are making up for the former's non-misspent youth. And Shauna goes up to some dude and is like, my friend and I forgot our IDs. We're going to get some, I love how she whispers, alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And then the dude... A little rudely, but accurately points out, you're not going to get carded, lady. Yeah. And I have to say, I really like this guy. He seems like a fun dude. Yeah. And then, and then he says, is this some kind of a sex thing? And it is. It's just not one that includes you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, throw in an extra, extra 20 and you got a deal. 
Uh, I love this guy. He knows how to profit from a random situation. And then Sean and Adam get some gross alcohol with a 500 ml, 500 ml bottle of orange juice, and they pour out some of the orange juice onto the ground. It's like, you could have just drank that. You fucking... <sighs> yeah, you could have poured it into yourself. Like, uh, it's still consumable. I was raised in a very cheap, scrimpy household, so the sight of other people being wasteful always enrages me. Yeah. And Adam says, how did you miss so much of your high school experience? And then, <laughs> more unnecessarily big words, Shauna says... Has anyone ever told you that your obsession with biographical minutia is the opposite of a turn-on? <laughs> That's a good word. Minutia. Minutia. And then it, she explains that she got straight A's and married young, which is all true, but you're sort of leaving out a big thing in between those two events. Yeah. And then we cut back to the bricks and mortar, and Jessica Roberts is also there. God, there are a lot of people at this restaurant. It's like the Yellow Jackets equi equivalent of the Inn at the Crossroads in Song of Ice and Fire. All the characters are there. Misty sees Jessica Roberts and texts Nat this info, but she doesn't respond, so she rings her, and then uh, Nat gets the call and immediately turns over. It's like, uh, come on, Nat, phone off on a date, you know? Particularly the date of, spoiler alert, someone you're trying to emotionally manipulate. Yeah. We live in a society. We live in a society. Uh, I love Misty frustratedly drinking some choc martini. <laughs> it's really cute. And we cut back to Ty at the party. She is talking to some... Irrepressible windbags. <laughs> His windbags cannot be repressed. Quite, and and we pointed out that her facial expression is saying, "Oh my God, can you just pretend that I said the response that will make you stop talking?" <laughs> and then, interestingly, she looks over at what is presumably the pig on the platter, but instead sees it as a stag, a stag's head with an apple on its mouth. How very interesting. And yeah, why are these uh, pigs slash deer always eating apples when they die? <laughs> sort of that. One of life's great mysteries. Yeah, someone explain that. The annoying uh, bastards remind her of the spill chant, because they transparently also want to know what happens in the woods, so they really know better than those people. And you pointed out that apparently COVID doesn't exist in this universe. We were like, hey, maybe the sacrifices in the woods stopped COVID. Yep, please them <laughs> gods of transmissible... Jumps. <laughs> Can't wait to see Lottie offer a prayer to those. Man, oh, fun game maybe for a future episode is like predicting which of the Yellow Jackets obeyed quarantine and which of them were anti-vaxxers. <laughs> you can tell Nat is like, I don't know, I read some articles on the internet. They say that the COVID vaccine gives you autism. Why does she sound like Tiffany from Daria? I don't no. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Accents often take a sharp right turn. <laughs> Ty sees a wolf. In episode two also, she was shown as having some trouble with wolves. There's definitely a big theme there of her having some wolf-related trauma. Maybe somebody made her watch Twilight. Amazing facial acting from Tawny Cypress, who continues to be amazing. And then she takes five in an abandoned room and is smoking. And Diane, the lady she wants to swooze a bunch of money out of, comes over and Diane bombs a cigarette off her. Ty complains of having too much champagne on an empty stomach. Ooh, that's never fun. And Diane initially seems chill and she refers to the thing as a pig, so it's apparently not a stag, or maybe they also had a stag? I know deer meat is a common thing. Is it normal to eat stag meat? Like, specifically of the male? I have no idea. Maybe. Hmm. People eat like camels. They do? Yeah. 
in, in like the Middle East or or I mean a fun fact dear viewers Australia has a larger population of camels than anybody than any other country in the world because they were introduced by the Afghan and Arabic uh, camel trackers that came to Australia in the 1800s and early 1900s so and then a lot of them just went wild and feral so yeah we have millions of feral camels in this country fun and I think people are literally paid just to go out and shoot them and leave them Mm, mm. Like wherever they fall it's it's not yeah yeah it's not fun to be a camel in the australian outback no not when you get shot by some redneck with a gun <laughs> i mean you know i i i'm you know a big animal guy so i don't ever really greet the death of an animal as like a joyous occasion but at the same time i do understand that invasive species have to be gotten rid of it's sad but you know there's no real way around it that's life that's life anyway Nat finally sees Misty, who alerts her to Jessica's presence and says, I'm having your back. <laughs> it's like, oh, spying on her on a date. What a creepy thing to do. Wow, I sure hope Misty doesn't further invade Nat's privacy this season. Also, I know this was a previous point, but it reminded me of the Emu Wars. <laughs> Which I believe the Emus technically won. Yeah. But Who'd have thought that a bunch of stupid flightless birds could win against a military in many ways the emu is sort of like imagine if ross noble was an ostrich <laughs> no and then nat quite understandably says to misty we're not rizzoli and isles i don't need you go the fuck home <laughs> and then mrs singh says to misty you remind me of my daughter no one really likes her either <laughs> she's amazing Burn. so misty irritated by every aspect of this exchange wants to take it out on someone so she goes over to jessica and jessica says to her how did your little road trip go so she's been keeping tabs on her and then misty says to her i know when you look at me you don't see someone you should be afraid of but you're wrong and jessica does not heed this warning it reminds me of the bit in grand Torino where he's like you know when you meet someone who you think you shouldn't have fucked with that's me yeah i'm a guy who finishes things yes so Adam uh, gets shot to death. <laughs> if only. Adam is three strokes down because he and Sean are playing mini golf, phrasing, and I don't care about this scene. Adam has to hit a ball into a residential neighborhood. And he says, he failed. Yeah, he says, if I win, you have to tell me something about yourself. He's still really keen to know something about Shauna. He's still a prat, but it is kind of cute. And then he's like, what if you hit someone? And Shauna's like, RIP, sorry, it was worth it. Which is really quite funny. She's so unhinged and so doesn't actually care about anyone else within her veneer of middle-class politeness, and that's why I love her. I guess that's what you get when you become a cannibal. Yeah, it's difficult to care about social niceties once you've chomped on your former teammate's leg bone. Mm. Anyway. Get a nice soup going. <laughs> Got your service going. Carl <laughs> Weathers offers cannibal cooking tips. <laughs> There's still a good bit of mockery left on this bone. Stuck a few veggies in there? <laughs> you got yourself a soup going. I love Carl Weathers. Anyway. <laughs> this is the comeback to 96 timeline. This scene starts out really good, but rapidly degrades in quality, and we shall get to why. The team of Jackie, Van, Ty, Aquila, and Laura Lee, and Misty are foraging in the woods. And Laura Lee says, are any of these maple syrup trees? <laughs> you mean maple trees? Yeah. <laughs> and I am by no means an expert, but I don't think, like, you can just get that out of the tree and you're all good. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think that is literally really? what it is. Yeah, it's, it's like... No uh, 
process? Yeah, it's like how honey's literally just bees vomit. I presume this will be something we have some sort of clarifying note about at the beginning of the next episode. <laughs> anyway, Maybe. I love Laura Lee. And Misty is about to eat a mushroom, and then Akila runs over and is like, wait, don't eat that kind. It's poisonous. And then I'm just thinking, like, well, we think of this survival of the certain characters who survived as inevitable, but it really wasn't. Like, they all almost died a bunch of times, and that was one such time. If Akila had been a little slower, Misty could have fucking died just then. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that it's poisonous will give her an idea. And then Van asks, like, kill you poisonous or trip your balls off poisonous? Yeah. Which is a great, um, another amazing line from Van. Continues Which, if to... I remember correctly, that'll become important later. Teasy, 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 tease. How coquettish of us. Yeah, Van continues to be amazing. She has an adorable expression after saying this. And then Misty is like, okay, can you just sew something that is edible? And Ty's like, what's the big hurry? And then Van is like, coach need a sponge bath. <laughs> Which is like, I think really the only time in the entire season that Van is being like mean, mean, as opposed to like funny. Oh, it's also funny, you know what I mean? And then Misty is wounded by this and walks off and she half-heartedly is like, I'm sorry. And Ty's like, Ty does a cute thing of like smushes a berry on Van and she's like, did you put a berry on me? <laughs> oh, I love them together. That's so cute. And uh, Ty, as is her favorite thing to do, immediately takes charge and is like, okay, we're looking for this kind of mushroom, not this kind of mushroom. Gather them all in the center. It's like, she she physically... Not she, take... She physically cannot not take chance of a situation. Yeah, there's some pretty dicey double negatives. And then Lottie... Yeah, Lottie, some great acting from Courtney Eaton, notices the creepy symbol on a tree. And I think it's significant that she is the first person to do so. And then they find, and this is where the scene takes a nosedive in quality, they find a plane, a small Cessna-type plane. Laura Lee runs inside, and Van is standing in front of it, you know, at an inappropriately unsafe distance. And Laura Lee turns it on, and it... Even though it really shouldn't be, because petrol degrades over a certain amount of time, it turns on and is still functioning, and it's all caught up in vines, but it's rearing forward. And then Vern, several seconds passed while she, instead of jumping to the side, she simply stands like a stunned mullet in front of the propeller, which I could kind of maybe forgive that, like a deer-in-the-headlights thing, but then Jackie pushes her out of the way and doesn't just continue the forward momentum and also fall over where she is, but just stands there and then also stands like a stunned mullet. It's like, no, two people didn't get the fight or flight thing. It, it doesn't make any sense. They No need for them to just stand there. And then it the plane stops because it gets tangled up in vines and the parallel is like an inch from Jackie's face. And this scene is it's dumb. They, they wouldn't do that. They'd jump out of the way, you know? If Jackie was switched on enough to push her out of the way, she'd also be switched on enough to jump out of the way, you know? Yeah, it's instinct. It's just dumb. It's a dumb contrived scene that they used to set up a thing that she says later which we'll get to but yeah it's a dumb scene uh but lottie kind of saves it at the end by being like it didn't want him to leave which how interesting so we cut back to 2021 and taisa and diane are talking and diane thinks that ty has that rare commodity in their field genuine positivity lol <laughs> no <laughs> and this is a line that is really one that on a rewatch I had to underline, I, I think is really, really significant. Particularly when you consider how Ty's storyline in 2021 ends this season, where Diane says, there's no limit to how far you can rise. You just need to find the people who truly want to help you. And spoiler alert, it seems like she's found them by the end of the season. 
But Diane wants to know what every bloody person wants to know. What really happened out there? And Ty gives the exact same boilerplate response that's shown in episode one. There's like, we starved and scavenged. And <laughs> and then Diana's like, I've heard the official story. And Ty rapidly begins to sour on her. And she says, why do you get to have that? Just because you're rich and powerful. And the Diane is revealed to be a person who sucks. And it's like, oh, I've done so much for women's causes, blah, blah, blah. So if I were you, I'd watch my tone. Uh, classic sort of annoying establishment tokenistic twatish white liberally person let me answer your question with a question shut up <laughs> in many ways the werewolf is nature's robot <laughs> and ty says i'll perfectly calibrate my tone as i tell you to go fuck yourself the amazing line reading from tawny cypress it was still a somewhat inconsequential storyline that didn't really teach us anything new about any of the characters but it had some good moments and some cool scenes, which is more than I can really say for the Shauna and Adam one. Nat, outside bricks and mortar, other date is concluded, gives Kevin the next tape from their childhood that she got from her home. And I gotta say, I hope this is not just a manipulation tactic. Like, I know it is, but I, I like Kevin and Nat together. They seem like a couple of, you know, they seem good together. I hope that they can make something work eventually. And then, it's interesting, like, Kevin says, Last time I saw you, you were getting out of my car. Saying you'd call me tomorrow. That's me post-crash, right? Because he says that in the beginning he hadn't seen her in like 20 years. You know, they obviously met up post-crash, but she was just... Oh, I think so. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody. But like, she was just so shaken and changed by the experience of being in the woods that she was basically a different person from the one he knew and they couldn't really relate to each other anymore. That's fair, I guess. Isn't it crazy, like, crazy when you meet someone you haven't talked to in ages and you're just like, wow, I'm not the person they remember anymore and vice yeah. versa. no. People change. And then uh, Kevin decides to shoot his shot and says, You had to know I was like totally in love with you, right? <laughs> and then she pushes him away as he goes in for a cheeky smunch. And then she says, I can't stop thinking about Travis. But it's not like we were each other's sponsors, but we tried to keep each other clean. And uh, Given the shit you got up to with your actual sponsor, Nat, you'd probably be grateful for the fact that he wasn't your sponsor. And this is obviously an attempt to manipulate Kevin into getting access to Travis's toxicology report. I really like Juliet Lewis's acting in this scene. And yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable, because you can tell that it's a mix of genuine emotion and a slightly reprehensible manipulation tactic. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of plot in this episode. One thing I'll give it, I'll give it to. It moves along at a fair clip. Anyway. Uh, Travis and Nat are back in the past at the plane and then she is really fed up with his behavior and is like I know that you're hurting right now but that doesn't give you a free pass to be a dick all the time which is fair and I think that sort of gets through, gets through to him a bit if only someone had told him several years ago yeah would have been helpful and Travis tells Nat his backstory which he got nicknamed with Flex because he had some scars from a surgery and Bobby Farley told everybody that he had a rib removed so he could suck his own dick, which is the thing that they tell you that Marilyn Manson did in high school. Yeah, which, like... is extremely bullshit, because that's not how the human body works. But, like... I'm pretty sure you can. No, you like... I know, you can suck your... Oh, some people can suck their own dick. Like, the porn star Ron Jeremy could suck his own dick, but removing a rib will not allow you to suck a dick in and no, of itself, no. is my point. So, yeah, and I remember we were in... Uh, the car was one of our friends, and we all mentioned the fact that the inevitable high school experience of somebody telling you that Marilyn Manson goes to remove to suck his own dick, and she was like, what? 
<laughs> I've never heard that. I was like, oh, I see you went to an upper class high school. Yeah. That's the big class demarcator in Australian society is whether you heard the Marilyn Manson dick sucking story. Yeah, yeah. Stadies, that was the most important piece of information <laughs> you learned your entire tenure. Basically the only one I remember. <laughs> I was like, I, I know it's I know the answer to this question is because they're teens and they're dickheads and they would make fun of you for every anything, but like I would be impressed if a guy could suck his own dick. I wouldn't make fun of him. I'd be like, dude, give me some fucking pointers. <laughs> I'm willing to say that in public. The thing in Metalocalypse. Where they're like, yeah, I wouldn't even well, be in a band if I could do that. So well yeah. I wouldn't even be in the music business. You don't want to watch that video, man. You think that's not CGI? It'll ruin your life. Boys, <laughs> wish I could suck my own dicks. Good show. Great show. Love Metalocalypse. And Travis begins digging and his father's grave. And five seconds, I was like, God, we're getting to cannibalism already. Is it keen there, T-Rav? No, he is not. And that is like, you're a fucking psycho. And jumps on him, honestly, in a kind of like sexually charged way. And Travis reveals that he's in fact simply trying to get his great-great-grandfather's ring. He is grossed out by the experience of digging up his dad and vomiting. And the ghost of Coach Martina is like, I'm still dead. <laughs> Oh no, my worst son wants my finger ring. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> I'm thinking that. I notice how he sounds a bit less, uh, a bit less like Carl. Yeah, in the afterlife, he's he's evolving apart from his Carl-esque identity. I get. I always thought you were somebody that I could live next to in accordance <laughs> with state law. Ever since, I imagine that Carl and Coach Martinez are hanging out in the afterlife. Is like ever since my son was never conceived. And Coach Martinez is like, oh, I should be so lucky. <laughs> anyway, Nat tells him to forget it, and Travis is like, no, you don't understand. I have to bring something back for Harvey, Nat realizes, because Travis feels bad about being such a dong nozzle to his little brother and wants to have some kind of continuity with his father who died. And Nat gives, uses her knife, her really cool knife, to cut off the poor bastard's finger. Interesting. How'd they get that on the plane? <laughs> they got an axe on the plane. Look, it was the nineties. Yeah, it was a different yeah. time. They smoke on the plane in the in the sort of fuselage area. It's a really nicely framed scene. And then Nat says, by way of an icebreaker, "So, can you suck your own dick?" And he responds, "I wish." Which fair. And then says, "He was such a shit dad." And Nat, I think, has you beat there because she flashes back to. Her dad beating the shit out of her mom. And there's like, again, there's no progression here. There's no context. It's just Nat's dad was 100% a cunt. And like, so tripped and half my face <laughs> fell off. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> and Nat attempts to stop him from beating the crap out of her mom. It's, it's like a quite a sad scene. But again, the dude is doing a way over the top. He, he, he's either way under the top or way over the top. And in this scene, he's kind of over the top. Nat points the gun at her dad. You pointed out that's not the sort of noise that sort of shotgun makes when it cocks. Yeah, no. Everybody thinks every shotgun be a pump action, but it ain't. Yeah, and Nat is saying it doesn't matter how shitty they are. It still fucks you up when they're gone. So we leave the scene with her pointing the gun at her father. And Nat, at the end of their date in the present, makes out with Kevin. God, mixed signals. That poor dude's going to be confused. And then she goes back to her house and washes her face while cool, creepy piano music plays. Adam and Shauna... Uh, standing on a bridge above a gross river. They strip down to their undos, 
And the one interesting aspect of the storyline appears, which is a Jackie hallucination. Shauna sees her because she is still carrying her around with her, as it were. And then Jackie says, somebody's going to get hurt. And to quote Commander Shepard, I think we can chalk that prediction up as accurate. Yeah. They jump down into the gross lake or river or whatever, which is a horrible idea. It's going to get lots of, like, UTIs. And then a song I really wasn't into plays as they fuck. It's by, like, uh, I don't know. It sounded sort of like female Robert Smith, but worse than that implies. Uh, yeah, not a fan of that. And yeah, Sean and Adam are fucking. I don't care about this storyline, as you pointed out. When other people are dealing with questions of existential survival and cannibalism, you can't really care about just a lady fucking a boring guy. Yeah. Uh, Nat and Travis are walking through the woods. The woods are looking very beautiful, I have to say. And they see a badly CGI'd deer. It won't be the worst CGI'd animal in this season, but it's up there. And the cool music is playing and i do something i will genuinely i actually generally do really like about this episode is that i like how the flashback is paced out through the episode and is always linked with not interacting in some way with a gun that that is the thing that triggers the memory that's a really good narrative device and this is the line with her father it cuts back to the pre-crash timeline with her pointing the gun at him he's like my little girl who cried when she killed a fucking turkey you're gonna shoot your daddy in the head and basically you know see that implies that like he also took her hunting, and that, to me, is the more interesting version of this relationship that shows them hunting together and having an at least somewhat positive relationship and then shows why he became such a twat and the actual degradation of their relationship with each other. That, to me, is a lot more interesting because we're just presented with him. We're not presented with the yeah. why or the how. There's no actual arc there, which is fine because it's a one-episode flashback, but... There yeah, are definitely it's just sort of thrust upon you. There are definitely ways you could have made this storyline more interesting. Uh, Nat pulls the trigger, was willing to like kill her dad, and he's a massive twat. But still, as the character from the show Brooklyn Nine Nine would say, "Cool motive, still murder." Mm. Sorry for referencing that show; you would hate. You're forgiven. <laughs> he patronizingly shows her the on-off switch. Right in the forest, Travis is like, "Just breathe," and her obnoxious dad walks away and calls her useless and then she's like you're the fucking useless woman and Sophie Thatcher is, as Nat is amazing in this scene and in general I really don't think there's a bad performer in this entire cast she's great and Nat shoots the deer and like insta kills it it doesn't even like stagger away for a bit it is like totally taken down so she knows where the heart is to quote mm. her, the hound yeah I didn't write it down but yes um, the dude is like what the fuck did you just say and then he trips and blows his own head off yeah so it's basically like Nat technically didn't kill her dad, but she was willing to, and the situation only happened. Yeah, because she was willing to try, but yes. uh, the safety, or yeah. off switch, as you referred to it, on. I don't know the proper lingo. Yeah, it's an interesting scene. I think it does hint at a sort of darker side of Nat's character, because obviously in the 96 timeline, at least in this season, she's portrayed as the, one of the people who is the least on board with the fucked up cult shit. But there is that killer instinct within her. And I think it will be put to good news for both positive and negative ends in the future of the show. And cut back to 96, Harvey is scrobbling away on his piece of paper, and the girls are sorting through plants, uh, presumably edible and non-edible, and then it's dumb. Jackie says to Van, so for the record, we're like 
even now, right? Which, of course, refers to her leaving her to die and then later pushing her out of the way of that plane and that dumb scene that was horribly staged. <laughs> spoiler alert, nothing comes of this storyline. There's no real confrontation between them ever again, and then J Van's resentment of Jackie is no more so than the other girls resenting her for not really pitching in in future. And Van's expression suggests, like, maybe we were even until you said that, because then that implies that you just did it to wipe your karma slate and don't actually care about me which we know with van's abandonment issues is a big thing with her but no she seems like she's about to respond but then nan and travis just come back with the deer so it's like this doesn't go anywhere i don't know why you would set up this ongoing relationship between jackie and van when it doesn't really amount to anything ultimately i don't know it's just a weird scene if your intention with showing jackie pushing her out of the way is confirming that she is a basically decent person and didn't actually wish for her to come to harm i think you could have demonstrated that in other ways that don't seem to be setting up a storyline that ultimately won't happen uh they come back the others are incredibly excited to see there's a deer travis says it was all natalie so he's being less of a wang flap now coach says that they must bleed it out and uh, ask for volunteers to do so misty enthusiastically puts her hand up for this because of course she does but shauna volunteers which hmm, is interesting you're not into guns you're into brutal throat slicing <laughs> There's, why not she, she she requires the more personal up close touch when killing yeah. something great music is playing amazing shots the yellow jackets snuff and some meat they're just really aggressively hoeing in there biting around foreshadowing and travis gives the ring to harvey saying that he forgot i had this sparing him the details of the grotesquerie and he seems to be into that and nat looks approvingly at travis it's like yes you can be not a massive dick how nice <laughs> And Achievement unlocked. Yeah. <laughs> Misty, presumably annoyed by Coach spurning her for throat-slitting duty, is walking past him and drips him over, and she's like, you need to be more careful. Terrifying. Ugh, she's so creepy. <laughs> Cut back to the present. Shauna is walking back to her house after the delightful fuck session she just did, and then Misty rings her, and she says, it's been so long, and Shauna seems to think it hasn't been long enough. Shauna told Misty to never call her, and then she's like, even if I have some very important news that for some reason no one else has bothered to tell you. And then Shauna's like, can you just fucking get to the point? And Misty tells her that Travis is dead. Shauna looks very guilty. Some great acting as a expression of deep regret and sadness washes over her face. And we as the viewer are thinking, why is she so affected by this? We shall find out. And we see a brief shot of the article that Misty's reading about Travis's death. The uh, chap under the fake name of John Garcia, who is apparently 44, which makes him a little bit older than the rest of the crash survivors. So that means he was born in 78, I believe. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, so so Travis and the rest of the Yellow Jackets are the absolute in the absolute dying last gasps of uh, Gen X, and Harvey is a millennial. Uh, Aquila may also be a millennial. Yeah, for anybody who was wondering about that, that has been resolved. And then Shauna walks inside... <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff says, hey, babe, how was book club? In a way that implies that he knows that she's not at book club, but we'll get to that later in the season. And uh, yeah, then the episode ends. And now, as you pointed out, Matthew, previously you were listening to the first episode on a really fast speed, <laughs> and you expected me to do some deep breathing after it, so now I'm going to breathe deeply. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. I have to do it way slower so it sounds normal to the fast speed people. 
Perfect. Somehow I don't think that's going to translate. There's a decent chance I might just edit that out because it was extremely stupid. (laughs) Well, if you're listening to this, I didn't, so I hope you enjoyed it. So yeah, that's that episode over. I don't I don't think this episode is terrible or anything. It moves the plot along in a good way. I like the Nat and Travis scenes. It establishes some important stuff in both timelines. I just felt like certain scenes didn't have the impact they could have, and there were a lot of weird attempts at subplots that didn't really come off. Okay. It I six out of ten is what I would give this episode. Not in any way bad, just not as good as some of the others. Uh fair enough. Would you say you like this episode less or more than the previous ones? probably a smidge less right right because yeah but no no it's good still good still good anyway uh did you have any further thoughts you wanted to add not usually (laughs) and this time is no exception okay then uh that's all for today listeners be well and remember we're not out of the woods yet Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.